0: That actually sounds like one of my laughs. One of those laughs in there sounds like mine. Well, welcome everyone to week three of the Lamb of God, seeing Jesus in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And so this week we cover chapters 5 through 12 of Exodus, covering the plagues and Passover. So Ben tells us what we're going to (laughs) be going through this week.
1: (laughs) I don't know. Yes, we will be looking at chapter 5 through chapter 12. And one of the key themes this week is... Actually, it's a key theme for the whole book. (laughs) And so one of the major themes of the book of Exodus is that they may know the Lord, that we will come to know Him. And so let's talk about how do you come to know someone. So, for example... (laughs) Like when we first started dating and uh, the primary desire of your (laughs) life became to know me, (laughs) what are some of the strategies, tactics, tips? How do we come to know someone?
0: (laughs) That's a loaded question. Uh...
1: Time with and them.
0: cynthia fashion asked lots of questions You're like,
1: ask lots of questions uh-huh now nancy guthrie starts this book off with uh, telling the story of when she went home to first meet her future husband's or her his family mm-hmm. and how they broke out the old home videos and uh <laughs> your dad
0: broke out his old national park stories <laughs> that's what endeared me to your family initially Oh, that was it. My dad just telling a story. <laughs> My dad's
1: national park <laughs> stories is what endeared you.
0: Oh, well when I met when I met the family. Uh, oh, but yeah, I'm glad I wasn't subjected to old VHSs of the family. All right, we didn't the really break trips. out a lot of old
1: photos, did we? No, yeah. your mom just I mean, has
0: a shoebox of all uh-huh. of the family's like old photos. Yeah, and a lot of those photos. It didn't take long actually, to go through those.
1: Yeah. Well, a lot of them you were surprised because a lot of them were actually birthday cakes. <laughs> <laughs> just the none cake. of them
0: were actually of you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> just the cake.
0: Just the cake. <laughs> well,
1: that's the important part of the birthday. Your Superman
0: cake, I think, when you were six years old. Mm-hmm. No Ben, just the cake. Yeah.
1: What else do you need? So you kind of photos are a way to let some <laughs> so old photos, but it's not just the photos; it's the stories connected mm-hmm. to the photos. And what she says in this chapter is that this chapter gives you two significant, profound. Snapshots, two photos about who the Lord is if you're going to know Him. And it's the image of it's the image of the most powerful country in the world completely devastated and decimated. Mm-hmm. and then it's the image of the sacrificial lamb, mm-hmm. the Passover lamb. And these two photos are snapshots that tell you about who the Lord is. But it's not just the photos that do it. You have to connect it to to the story. So that's what this section is about. We're gonna we're gonna think. All right, how can we? What are some some of the things you need to know so you can appreciate those two images? So you have the image the image of Egypt decimated and the image of the Passover lamb. Mm-hmm. So what what some of the background stories we need to know uh, to appreciate those images? So let's actually, so what we'll do, we'll just kind of do a whirlwind tour, you know, 20-minute tour through this section, and I'll point out a couple things that I think will be really helpful as we read through it. All right, so let's look at chapter 5, because chapter 5, verse 2, in some sense, is the verse that sets up the drama for the first half of the book. So Moses and Aaron come to Pharaoh, and then Pharaoh responds, chapter 5, verse 2, and Pharaoh said, who is the Lord? that I should obey his voice and let Israel go I do not know the Lord and moreover I will not let Israel go so that's the theme now that's the showdown the gauntlet has been laid he had the opportunity Moses and Aaron come they say the Lord has come to us he wants you to let the, let us go so we can go 3 days to the mountain to worship and then Pharaoh says who is the Lord that I should obey and you got to hear that as a confrontation a challenge it's not, you know, oh, who is that? I've I've never met him. No, we haven't met. So tell me about them. It's it's a challenge. It's mm-hmm. uh every land had its own gods and it's who is this Lord and like why do you think he has any jurisdiction over me? So it's not he's not asking for information. Mm-hmm. It's a challenge to authority. I mean it's similar if like Maddie came home from school and said Brody said that you have to take me to the beach and buy me a car. I say, mm-hmm. like, well, who is Brody that I should <laughs> obey him? Who does he think he is to come
0: to, you know? so
1: Of course, I just, we're teasing some Brody's
0: a sweet boy. He's such a sweet boy. <laughs> he would never say that. No.
1: Maybe I should change the name. So <laughs> but that's the, that's the gist of Pharaoh's challenge. He's like, who do you think you are to tell me that I should obey you? And then. The whole drama is going to play out to let him know who is the Lord that he should obey. And so chapter 5 starts off with the first attempt to let them go, and then it doesn't go well. Their first attempt, attempt is disastrous in some ways. Pharaoh only increases the amount of oppression uh, on them. And then the people cry out, and then Mo- Moses and Aaron fall on their face and ask, Lord, why have you, why have you done this? And so the first attempt is a failure. And it is intriguing how often in the Bible, you know, the first attempts are failures. That God, God promises victory, but then it's a long journey before he brings it about. So they're downcast. They're discouraged in chapter 6. And then in chapter 6, verse 2, all the way to verse 9, you have one of the most powerful and compact declarations of who the Lord is in the whole Bible. It's a remarkable passage. So here's the whole question. How do you know him? Who is the Lord? And then he's going to repeat. He's going to repeat five times in this little section, that the anthem, I am the Lord. Now this is I am Yahweh. I am who I am. I am the Lord. And then he's going to repeat all the things that what does it mean. So in chapter 6, at the very beginning, he's revealing his name. I am the Lord, I appeared to Abraham, I established my covenant, I have heard the groaning, I have remembered, I am the Lord, I will bring you out, I will deliver you, I will redeem you, I will take you, I will be your God, and you will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, who brought you into the land that I swore to give Abraham, and to give it to you, I am the Lord. So this, this whole repetition, this whole thing is going to go down so that you... Israel, know that I am the Lord who made the covenant to your forefathers and has, re- have, has redeemed you, and I am the Lord, you will be my people. So that's, that's the anthem. And then the narrative stops, and it, it's once again, it comes to a grinding halt, and there's a genealogy. Why all these genealogies? (laughs) He he just gets going, and then it stops. Like, now the drama is about to happen. Pharaoh's thrown down the gauntlet. Who is the Lord that I should obey? The people are in despair. And then, oh, actually, look at verse, chapter 6, verse 9. After this incredible declaration of who the Lord is and this rhythmic uh, repetition of the promises, then it says, Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses. Mm-hmm. Because of their broken spirit and the harsh slavery, mm-hmm. so Charles Spurgeon, he said, "Methinks, methinks mm-hmm. me this might be the saddest verse in the Bible, because mm-hmm. here the Lord comes to them with tremendous repetition of powerful promises, and they can't receive them. And it because their spirit's broken.' Mm-hmm. And it just reminds me of that, you know, the the proverb that." Uh, a broken bone a person can overcome but who can overcome a broken spirit mm-hmm. and uh, and this is a good lesson just when you're dealing with people um, in the darkness mm-hmm. depressed deep depression and their spirit's broken like you can come with the most powerful promises life-giving words and sometimes they just can't receive it cuz their spirit's broken mm-hmm. and this is where Israel finds them this is where Israel finds themselves at this point you know in some sense that's a good place to be Because it's from out of that shattered spirit that the Lord will then raise them back up. Mm -hmm. And so right now, Israel is at the bottom and they're shattered. Pharaoh is at the top and he's exalting himself. And by the end of the story, it's going to be completely reversed. That's good news, Holmes. Mm Mm-hmm. All right, and then we we stop and we hit this genealogy. So, ah, why again? Why it's like who is writing this story? Don't they know about this good storytelling dynamics? Don't put the credits in the middle of the story. So, what's what's the point here? What do you think? This actually is really significant and important. So, why is it here? I don't know. <laughs> now it's interesting. Notice it's not the entire Israelite genealogy. It's just Moses and Aaron. And then what it does is it's going out of the, it's going out of its way to let you know that they were Levites. Okay. They're Levites. So why does that matter? Why does he really want us to know that both Moses and Aaron are Levites? Because the Levites are going to become the priestly tribe, mm-hmm. and so if you remember from a couple of weeks ago in church, kind of that narrative arc of the mm-hmm. three acts from Matthew chapter one, act one, act two, act three. Act one is the establishment of the priesthood. Mm-hmm. So he's letting you know that the the main characters. This whole section is about establishing the priesthood, mm-hmm. and the priesthood is about the presence bringing you into the presence of the Lord, Hmm. mediating his presence. And so he wants you to know the main character, Moses and Aaron are Levites. They're they're
0: qualified to lead God's people into his presence. They're
1: qualified. This is is going to be the priestly family Hmm. who eventually, so eventually they will become the official ordained mediators that usher God's people into God's presence. All right, and then chapter 7. They come back to Pharaoh once again. And it's interesting. Look at chapter 7, verse 5. It says God comes and he makes, once again, these promises of what he's going to do to Egypt because Pharaoh's heart is hard. He's not going to let them out. So, and then so chapter 6, he says, So that Israel will know that I am the Lord, their God, and they are my people. And then in chapter 7, verse 5, it's so that the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people from Israel. And so the whole purpose of this whole thing is so that the whole world knows who the Lord is. Mm-hmm. All right, so we're we're moving into the plagues and so kind of the drama is set that God has called Pharaoh to release the Hebrews from their poverty and their slavery and then we're about to have a succession of 10 plagues that are going to culminate in uh the final judgment. And actually what we're going to see in this movement of the 10 plagues is you actually see a temporary, preliminary, devastating prelude to judgment day. Hmm. So they're going to experience, in essence, judgment day in miniature. And the 10th plague is the destroyer. Um, the angel of death is going to come down.
2: Mm-hmm. But
1: what you're going to see leading up to that. Is that as you're going to see, because you're going to see, in essence, creation unraveling mm-hmm. and then culminating in this deep mm-hmm. darkness. Plague nine, total darkness. And then 10, the firstborn dies. Mm-hmm. So, this total darkness and the death of the firstborn. But leading up to that, you're going to see it's almost like creation is unraveling. And this gives us a key insight into how judgment and sin work that when you violate God's design you unleash forces of disintegration and chaos mm-hmm. um, so you think about like God's commandments they're like they're literally stone you you try and break them they actually break you mm-hmm. um, so in the ten plagues God is about to unleash the most unstoppable force in the universe and he is about to decimate the greatest military and political power in the world at that time but then the incredible irony is not the right word. The, sh- the shock, the mystery, the the amazement is that this force of judgment is about to be unleashed on them and the only thing that can save you is the blood of a lamb. Mm-hmm. So why, why is that what could save you? I mean, we need like a, a force field or we need like a star destroyer or a submarine. A nuclear submarine could be the thing that could save you. But no, you <laughs> The only way you can find shelter is you have to find shelter under the blood of a lamb. Mm -hmm. And so that's going to be one of the questions. How can the weakest, meekest creature protect you from this ultimate force? All right, so let's.
0: But this wouldn't have been as foreign of a concept to them as it is to us.
1: Maybe not. I don't know. I mean, maybe. I mean, they certainly would have understood sacrifice and things like that much better than we do. But
0: But surely the story of Abraham would have been told, at least to the Israelites, so that they were familiar with the. Yeah, so they have some background. And then Cain and Abel, and, mm -hmm. and, you know, with all those sacrifices. Mm -hmm. And then.
1: Yeah, so we're thinking about the two pictures of, in essence, the plagues and the Passover. So Mm -hmm. the two images. These are pictures of how we come to know the Lord. And. A couple things, to I think we'll just give some helpful things to think about, especially as you're reading through the plagues, is that they are meant to teach us something about God. So some of the lessons we are meant to learn is that it's the Lord who humbles those who exalt themselves. One of the lessons we learn about what does it mean to rule in such a way that pleases the Lord, to rule righteously. To seek justice and shun oppression. See, the Lord will not tolerate injustice, particularly the oppression of the vulnerable. And so He's going to publicly humiliate Pharaoh. Mm-hmm. So He's going to judge Egypt for her oppression, and then He's going to redeem Israel. And in so doing, the world will know what kind of God He mm-hmm. is. Um, you know, well, one of the things that kind of strike is striking. Um, when you're reading through, is the dynamic between the Lord hardening Pharaoh's heart and mm-hmm. Pharaoh hardening Pharaoh's heart. Mm-hmm. Um, and often when you read it, even this, in I was this past week when I was reading it, I, I was having a soft spot in my heart for Pharaoh. Mm-hmm. I think, oh, what well, kind of poor guy. It's not really fair. I mean, the Lord hardened his heart, and yeah, he was a royal knucklehead, but I mean, but then start to think, I mean, actually the maybe it was this morning when we were reading it mm-hmm. i think well maybe the thing that should really make me uncomfortable is how much mercy the lord shows him mm-hmm. i mean he gets opportunity after opportunity to repent and mm-hmm. this is the same tyrannical regime that was casting israelite babies into the nile yeah. and slaughtering them and so um they're not sympathetic figures Mm-mm. you know it would be similar to uh, I mean, if anything, the Lord shows them tremendous mercy by continually giving them opportunities to, yeah. to repent. But the plague accounts are explicitly designed to reveal that the Lord is supreme, mm-hmm. not Pharaoh, and that he's supreme over all creation. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the Egyptians worship many. So the God of the Nile, the God of the sun, Ra, these are not, he, he's over them. So that's one of the things that's supposed to come through, kind of loud and clear through this. Mm -hmm. A couple other things to kind of help you um, see the artistry and the development. Notice how it's set up in, uh, so there's 10 plagues, but it's set up in cycles of three. So a group of three. Mm -hmm. Um, You might think I'm just making that up, but (laughs) actually let me show you. So notice... So look in chapter 7. So notice, and you see this, the literary structure and the way each plague is set up. Uh So the first plague, notice how it's set up in, so just read verse 15.
0: Chapter 7, verse 15. Mm -hmm. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he is going out to the water. Stand on the bank of the Nile to meet him and take in your hand the staff that turned into a serpent. And you shall say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, sent me to you, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. But so far you have not obeyed. Thus says the Lord, By this you shall know that I am the Lord.
1: All right, so that's good. You can start there. So notice how Plague 1 is set up. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he's going out to the water. Stand on the bank of the Nile, this public confrontation between Moses and Pharaoh. He's going to the Nile in the morning as the sun's rising. All types of significance there. That's not like just spring this on him in the morning when he's getting out of the bath. It's (laughs) all of the significance of they worship at the Nile. Uh, He's the representative of Ra, the sun god who's rising to give life on the new day. I mean, Mm -hmm.
0: he's worshiping
1: pharaoh is or no Pharaoh's is making a declaration that i'm the one who brings these things okay. so i i'm the one who brings in the new life of the new day and so like like part of pharaoh's job description was that he's the one who brings life and he brings rain so like you know how like modern day rappers brag about they can make it rain <laughs> you know that that's an old story because that's what pharaoh would claim that he's <laughs> the rain maker he makes uh-huh. it rain he brings he brings life. So okay. it's happening. The first confrontation is happening at the pla- at that place. All right? So it's set up that way. And then look at how plague number two is set up. Mm-hmm. Just, so go into Pharaoh and say to him. So you go into his palace, direct confrontation. So confrontation in the morning at the Nile, direct confrontation in the palace. Then plague number three, no confrontation, no warning, stretch out your hand and strike. Mm-hmm. So that's the movement. Now, look how plague number four. Mm-hmm. So look at chapter 8, verse 20. How does it start?
0: It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself to Pharaoh as he goes out to the water.
1: And once again, you have that rise up early in the morning, mm-hmm. go down to the Nile, public confrontation at the Nile, first let thing in the morning. Go. And the same same cycle of words that mm-hmm. set it up. Now notice it's let my people go. That's not the end of the sentence. Right.
0: So that they may serve me in Always. the wilderness. yep. Mm-hmm. always
1: so that they may serve me that's the mm-hmm. key thing so they may worship so mm-hmm. that they may serve now did you ever think it was just let my people go
0: well actually until we studied this i thought it was that i don't know i've i've never noticed honestly that there was that second part that they may serve me.
1: Yeah. And it's probably, you know, from the Char- we talked about the different movies, Charlton Heston movie, <laughs> but you've never seen that. But he just says, Let my people go. It probably came in for you from that cheesy middle school youth camp song. Just about to about- sing it. Let's hear it.
0: Pharaoh, Pharaoh. Oh, baby, let my people go. <laughs>
1: yeah, oh, yes. Yeah, yep, yeah,
0: yep, yeah. Yep. Oh, oh, man. Mm-hmm, Imagine mm-hmm. 300 middle schoolers singing that.
1: Mm, hand motions and all. <laughs> singing and celebrating the complete cataclysmic devastation of oh, a country. I hope um, some
0: listeners know that. We'll sing it at Bible study on Wednesday.
1: Well, maybe not because it, it <laughs> doesn't. This might be surprising, but the, the middle school youth group song doesn't quite get at So it's not just let my people, it's always let my people go so that they may serve me. Mm -hmm. By this you will know that I am the Lord. So it's so that they'll know and so that they'll worship. And so fourth plague, rise in the morning. Guess how fifth plague comes? He goes confrontation at the palace. Sixth plague, it's just strike, no warning. Then the cycle starts again. Look at plague number seven. So pick that up in chapter nine, verse 13.
0: Okay. The same pattern. Let, then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself to Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me.
1: All right. So you have that cycle, confrontation in the morning, and then eighth plague mm-hmm. goes into the palace, he, or he go into Pharaoh, say, he does, mm-hmm. and then ninth plague, you just strike, mm-hmm. and the darkness comes. So that's three cycles of, of three working through those. Yep. And then comes... Comes the tenth. The tenth plague. And it's interesting to think about. I mean, why why ten plagues? Part of the symbolic of the number, you know, mm-hmm. 10 generally means total, complete. Mm-hmm. So maybe total devastation. Mm-hmm. Be interesting. Is there any parallels between the 10 plagues and the 10 words of life? The things we call the 10 commandments, they're the 10 words. So mm-hmm. word of judgment, word of life. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to be interested to trace some of these parallels in Matthew. Cause in Matthew eight and nine, there's 10 miracle stories where he's setting up in that section. There's mm-hmm. 10 of them. Wonder if there's any connections, parallels, who knows, but
0: mm-hmm.
1: those are the type of things you want to, try and key in on
0: and it points that this is not well i mean it is god doing it but you know there's normally when in the created order after darkness comes light and then but after the total devastation after darkness is just death mm-hmm.
1: yeah yeah and you'll actually see some natural sequencing in the plagues so blood turns denial the frogs flee And the gnats or the lice kind of come, so there is kind of a a a natural sequencing to the disintegration, Mm -hmm. Um, natural consequences. You'll see the following of natural consequences. So that's a literary structure. Another thing is another way it's set up is they kind of move in pairs. So two plagues hit the Nile. Two have insects. Two have plagues on both beasts and and people. Mm -hmm. And then two. Another thing to take note as you're kind of moving through is starting in the second cycle, the Lord will start making distinctions between Israel and Egypt. Hmm. So he's going to send a plague and the livestock will be struck, but all of Israel's livestock will not. Mm-hmm. So just Jewish, just the Egyptians, and then he even warns them. Uh, he's going to send the hail, and he'll warn them that if you, and it says the Egyptians who feared the Lord brought all of their livestock yeah. in, and they survived. Yeah. And so he warns. But he it's very clear that I will make a distinction mm-hmm. between you and my people.
0: What's interesting at the end, he doesn't.
1: Ah, we'll get to that and I'll say yes. The tenth yep. plague when yep. he
0: yeah when he yep. talks about the Passover, he Correct. passes over. all. All of the land. Correct.
1: That's it. that's important. So, yeah, you're you're jumping ahead of my notes. So <laughs> sorry. Sorry. Don't don't steal my own thunder. Here. <laughs> All right. So those are some things that I think could be helpful to kind of get into the heart of what's happening um, with the plagues. Now, the next stop is the Passover. And so once again, though, you're moving along. The narrative is is fast and furious, and then all of a sudden you hit chapter 12, and the brakes come on, and chapter 12 is the long, Mm -hmm. the establishment of the Passover ritual, the rules and regulations to establish the ritual. Ah, once again, boring. I mean, does he not know how to tell a good story? Like, he's about to hit the climax. This is the moment we've all been waiting for. He's about to hit the climax, and then now you have
0: details about a feast.
1: The detail, yeah, the party details. So what is that doing there? Like what's the point of that?
0: Well, it being in the climax at least speaks of its importance. Yeah. Even if we think it's boring, it's like, all right, well, at least it's important, so we got to tune in.
1: Yeah. And and if we think it's boring, it means that our mind isn't actually shaped to what's important to God. Mm-hmm. And so we need to humble ourselves. I'm kind of reminded of the and the person who responded, you know, about the liturgy, where it's like these words never say what I mean. And I was like, well, the point is for you to eventually mean what they say, and yeah, and so that's like we we need to shift our expectations if we think um, it's boy. And the whole point is that for the whole point is that these three ceremonies—he's going to give them three: Passover, unleavened bread, consecration of the firstborn and that these ceremonies commemorate the death of the firstborn in Egypt and the plague that finally broke Egypt and then brought Israel out. And it's going to establish the ritual and the rhythm to celebrate these ceremonies every year. So why would that be important? One of the things it says here that it's a memorial, it's so you can remember why is it so important to establish rhythms or rituals so that we will remember? Mm-hmm. we're forgetful? We're forgetful people. We forget the most important things, and it's like you know you this past week Kobe Bryant died, mm-hmm. and one of the things you can see in all the kind of the in the in the height of the emotion, people will say, "We'll never forget." Mm-hmm. You know the Mamba is gone, but he'll never be forgotten. But the sad reality is mm-hmm. that for most of us, we'll forget next week. Mm-hmm. Um, our we're very we're very quick to forget the things we shouldn't, mm-hmm. and we have a hard time forgetting the things we should. Mm-hmm. And y- these rituals, this regular, weekly, yearly rituals, the rhythms are given as God's gift to us so we don't forget. Mm-hmm. And the whole point it says here is that so you can pass this down from one generation to the next. Mm-hmm. And so the ceremonies were designed to impart the, not not just to like impart the information from one generation to the next, but they were actually designed to draw future generations in so mm-hmm. they would experience it. That's the whole point. So they could experience deliverance all right so a couple things just to to bring out to really appreciate the Passover and see the connections with Christ in this section because so I mean this is one of the clearest and obvious connections that he mm-hmm. is our great Passover lamb but other things that I think are fascinating um, do you notice how as we go through it that everything that happens to Moses early in the book will happen to Israel as a whole later in the book Mm-hmm. So Ma- Moses as a child is saved as he passed through the waters and just as the whole nation will be saved as they pass through the waters. Mm-hmm. And and um, the whole... Nation of Egypt will try and destroy the Israelites into in the sea once again, but it, it they'll be saved, and then Egypt will be destroyed, mm-hmm. and then actually Moses' parents place them among the reeds, and it's actually the same word they pass through the the we call the Red Sea or the Sea of Reeds mm-hmm. They they pass through um, the reeds, and Moses will flee into Midian into the wilderness where he's going to spend. 40 years in the wilderness, just like Israel will spend 40 years in the wilderness because of both of their rebellion. And mm-hmm. then Moses is going to be, um, when he's when he's among the Midianites, the Lord will appear to Moses in a burning bush, in a ball of flame on Mount Horeb, mm-hmm. which is Mount Sinai. Mm-hmm. And then all of Israel, they will come to the same Mount Sinai and then wow. the Lord will descend in in fire and he will speak to them from the mountain and give them the 10, the 10 words. And so everything that happens to Moses is going to happen to Israel. Hmm. And that gives us a window into like covenantal headship. So like what it means to be as Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant. So everything that happens to him, he blazes the trail and then will happen to his people. So what's true of him becomes true of us. So what's true of Moses becomes true of them. What's true of Jesus becomes true of us. So he is the author, the perfecter of our faith. He blazes a trail where he conquers death and then he rises up to sit in the heavenlies. And then all that's going to be true of us. He's going to bring us up with him. And that's how there's such a connection between him as the head and his people mm-hmm. that when Saul is persecuting the church and Jesus knocks him on his backside, says, Saul, so why are you persecuting me? And it's because what's true of him is true of them.
0: That is fascinating. It truly is. Pretty amazing, huh? I've never heard that before. Yeah. Have you preached a sermon on this? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you guys have no idea how often I'm like, that's amazing. I've never heard that before. I preached it in a sermon last week.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I haven't preached that in a sermon, but I think I should. Yeah, Never really thought about it till studying it this week, those connections. That's
0: fascinating.
1: Well, good. Glad you like it. It is. Um, some other kind of key connections with Christ that I think are really important, and you hit on one of the first ones, is when it comes time for the Passover, there is, yeah, he's making a distinction between Israel and between Egypt, mm-hmm. but then here and that one, there's no distinction. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, well, when he's offering salvation, it's to all. Mm-hmm.
1: But then judgment comes to all too. Mm-hmm. So we're all under judgment and we all need it. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it says in chapter 12, 22, after you put the blood on the door, no one goes out of the house until morning because the destroyer is coming. And it's not just for them. Mm-hmm. And so in the final spiritual analysis, um, you are no better than they are. And so if you go out tonight and you try and meet this on your own terms, you will not survive. Mm. And then this is one of the clearest places we see in the Old Testament of the substitutionary dynamic of salvation. Their only hope is in the death of another. Mm. So in in every home that night, you either have a dead son or a dead lamb. Mm -hmm. And so the only hope is that the lamb will get what the son deserves. Mm-hmm. And so every single firstborn son could look at the dead lamb and say, the only reason why I'm alive is because this is not. Mm-hmm. And so it was the, the sacrifice for them. A mm-hmm. um, couple important things about the way it's set up is the structure of the Passover. You have the lamb. Uh, so the lamb is slain as an atonement sacrifice. And then the blood is spread on the doorpost, door and it's spread with hyssop. So that's interesting, the hyssop is a tree. So you hear, you know, wash me with hyssop, make me clean. That's what you spread it with. And then you would actually eat the fellowship meal. And so those are always the three pieces. You have the sacrifice of atonement, then you have the purification, spreading the blood on the doorpost is an act of, of purifying. Mm-hmm. And then you actually have the fellowship meal where you eat. Um, And this actually is going to be the exact same sequence for consecrating the priest when they come to the tabernacle, take the blood of the lamb, you wipe it on their ear. You know, I thought that's so odd. Why is it wiping Mm. the blood on the priest's ear? Mm. Because it's consecrating the doorframe. The window in for God's Mm. people is through the ear. We Mm. listen and obey. The priest's job is to listen and obey to the word of the Lord. Mm. So that's the doorpost of his way in. Mm. And then we have the fellowship meal in his presence. And so the whole nation is being consecrated now as a priestly nation. Mm. The people of the presence who are being redeemed to enter into his presence. Mm. And then, of course, in the New Testament, we see that everything that this lamb was and is that Jesus is the embodiment of. He's a fulfillment of. Uh, Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world.
0: So these two things kind of symbolic of what happens when we are saved, like salvation affords us. Cleansing of our sin and then communing with our Father. Mm,
2: Yes. Mm -hmm. Like
0: eating at the table, Mm -hmm. of the feasting. Mm -hmm. You're feasting with the Father Mm -hmm. after you've been cleansed. Mm -hmm.
1: So the goal of this whole section is that we know the Lord, and there's a lot here Mm -hmm. that we could come to know Him.
0: It's really neat when you study the sweeping kind of chunks of of larger passages, just what themes you can kind of extract rather than doing the kind of line by line exegetical mm-hmm. studying. Yep. It's just really beneficial to do both.
1: Yep. Yep. Both are essential. You know, one thing that you have to kind of read the Bible for, um, breadth and depth. Mm-hmm. And so you really need to read it and see the big picture. Then also really go yeah. deep. And it's, I mean, that's why it's, it's a lifetime study. Mm-hmm. I had a, one of my professors, cause I would was kind of kicking around the idea of doing a PhD on biblical theology kind of the old testament you know some different mm-hmm. things in the old testament trying to and he kind of laughed and just said you can't because you're too young biblical theology is an old man's game you have to have been around long enough where you can read it and what he's saying is you have to actually study it for long enough mm. where you can you don't begin to see these connections until you've read through it mm. i mean you know g campbell morgan the preacher who Preceded Lloyd Jones, would said, You really need to read a book about between 50 and 100 times before you have the basic idea when you're preaching it. Oh my <laughs> it's like, you know, just. So.
0: <laughs> and this is an old man's game. Mm hmm. The old man.
1: Oh, we hadn't even started. <laughs> so that's right. Preachers <laughs> don't hit their prime till they're 60. So we've got a long way to go. It's only
0: 20 years away.
1: Better read fast. Uh.
0: All right. Well that's it, folks. Thank you for joining us this week as we looked at week three, the plagues and the Passover. Have a great week. I feel like
1: the paper of your Bible is so much crisper and brighter than mine.
0: Doesn't mine look like so?
1: I'm jealous. (laughs) Like this has a mate. Matte finish that I'm having hard to see, but I can. Yours is so bright and vibrant.
0: I love my Bible.
1: Anyway, okay,
0: all right. So let's look at chapter. Maybe it's the blue.
1: No, I think it's the.
0: I don't know. Maybe it's the lighting. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, That's more yellow. This is more blue. Yeah. Anyway. All right.
1: So, one thing I noticed listening to the podcast is I always say, "All right, so." <laughs> it's kind of annoying. I don't have any other transition word, though. Okay.